0: Morning everyone. Uh I hope everybody is doing well. Um my name is Alex. I'm a I'm a member here at Christ First Watford. And this and this morning we're going to be continuing uh our series uh, together in the book of Hebrews. And we'll be reading and studying chapter 10 together. Uh and it's a it's an awesome chapter actually. It's it's uh full of strong encouragement and truths which I think are going to Uh, cause us to to wonder and to marvel at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've had uh, a couple of weeks off uh, from this sermon series. Uh, And so let's just quickly remind ourselves of the main themes uh, we've seen so far in the book of Hebrews. Uh, The writer has repeatedly uh, stressed the excellencies of Christ, Uh, how Jesus is greater and superior to the angels Um, in chapter one and then in chapters uh, three and four. Uh, the writer explains how Jesus is greater than Moses and Joshua. Uh, in chapters 4 through 7, um, the writer explains that Jesus is the great and perfect high priest. And then in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus is the, the mediator of a new covenant, which is better than the old. And so we come to uh, chapter 10 this morning. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, I invite you to open up to that, uh, chapter 10. Uh, the words, uh, as we read them, will appear on the, on the screens, and I'll be reading from the ESV. And, and rather than reading the, the whole chapter together at the start, um, instead this morning, we're going to read uh, the chapter in, in chunks, and then we're going to look at each kind of chunk of that chapter as we go through. So uh, starting from verse 1. There we go. Tech team already on it. Uh, verse 1. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Verses uh, 1 through 18, which we've just read, have, they, they pick up from where Tom left us in chapter 9. Uh, and, and the argument, whilst it might not be entirely straightforward, uh, I think we can still see the main thought process of the writer. He is comparing uh, the old covenant sacrifices, uh, the priesthood, the tabernacle, and he's comparing all those things to the, to the new covenant sacrificial system. And as he does so, it is clear that the new system is gloriously superior. Uh, so to start, let's, let's just get that clear in our heads, uh, what, what we're comparing in these verses. We're comparing uh, the law of the old covenant, that priesthood and sacrificial system, and we're comparing that to the religious system Um, Now that Jesus has come. Uh, And the contrast between these two, I think, is particularly clear if we focus on on two verses. Uh, If we start with verse uh, one, uh, this is a a description of our old system. We read that, for since the law has but a, a shadow of the good things to come, instead of a true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered Every year, make perfect those who draw near. And then we can look at uh, verse 14, which describes uh, the situation now that Jesus has come. It says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The the contrast between these two verses, I think, is clear and it's striking. In verse one, the law, uh, which again is referring to this old system, um, prior to Jesus, it says that it can never make perfect for those who draw near to God. Uh, whereas in verse, verse 14, we see that something has happened which enables one to be perfected for all time. We go from a situation where we can never, it's impossible to be made perfect, to another situation where there is an, an offer, an opportunity to be perfected for all time. I'd, I'd contend, actually, this, that this morning, mankind's greatest problem is that we, we are not perfect. That is, in a sense, mankind's greatest war, isn't it? That we are not perfect. Um, and I think we all know this. We know that while sometimes we do good, we, we often do bad things. We often sin. And there is suffering because of this. Um, and perfection, in, in the book of Hebrews, it, it contains the idea that sins are forgiven and removed, meaning one's conscience is, can be cleansed from guilt. And so I think that the benefits on offer in verse 14 are clear. Perfection, forgiveness of sins and a clean conscience. Uh, but I, I think we need to uh, answer the question first. It's um, what has happened so that uh, the promise of verse 14 is now available? That's the question. Uh, And we need to look a little bit closer into these two verses to help us answer that question. Uh, If we look at these two verses, we can see that sacrifices or offerings are referenced in both. In verse 1, the the sacrifices that are continually offered can never make perfect. Whereas in verse 14, there is a single offering um, this being another word for sacrifice. So we need to compare these two sacrifices in order to answer our question. Uh, the first point of contrast, actually if we just skip back a few slides, back to verse one, is the nature of the of the old sacrifices in comparison to to the one single sacrifice of Jesus. You s- see how in verse one the sacrifices are continually offered. And in verses 2 and 3, uh, we see the writer use logic to explain that because the sacrifices in your old system are continuously needed, it, it proves in a sense that they are not effective. Uh, consider for a second if, you, if you're unwell and, and therefore you visit a doctor. If a doctor prescribes medicine and care, uh, but you see no improvement what do you do? You have to go back to the doctor. But then if, again and again, you're never seeing any improvement, then you have to continually go back to the doctor. And that, in a sense, proves that the the doctor's care is ineffective. So that's, in a sense, what we're seeing here. The fact that you have to go back again and again and again proves that those old sacrifices were not effective. Uh, Another limitation of the old sacrificial system is the object being sacrificed. In verse 4, it makes it clear that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, animals, to take away sins. Of course, Uh, how can animals take away the sins of humans? Uh, How can the act of us forcibly taking the life of an animal uh, make us perfect? So that's what the old system was like before Jesus. And now we can then shift our attention to Uh, the new system under Jesus. A reading in verse 10. And by that will, which which is God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Notice first how uh, this verse explains that Jesus' body was offered. It was not uh, forcibly taken from him, but Jesus laid down his life of his own accord. Jesus offered his body. See how this contrasts with what we read just earlier in verses one to four with the sacrifices of animals where animals had no choice, whereas here, Jesus laid down his life. And rather than sacrificing animals, here we have the sacrifice of a son of God. Surely that is infinitely more effective for removing sins than the blood of animals. And see how the offering or sacrifice here Is made once and for all, rather than continuously. Uh, Jesus' body was made uh, as a sacrifice once, and that once was sufficient. If we go back uh, for a second to our analogy of of a doctor and an illness, here it is if um, the person with an illness went to a new doctor and from that one visit was healed forever, and therefore never had to go back. That's what we have here. Uh, Verses 11 and 12, I think, summarize uh, this argument. Let's read verse 11 again. And, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Again, we, we see the contrast, don't we, between the priests having to offer sacrifices repeatedly um, and, in, and ineffectually compared to Christ's offering once a single sacrifice, effectively dealing with sin. And, and actually notice as well the, the contrast in the physical position of the priests and Christ. Uh, The priests here are described as as standing, whereas Christ has sat down. Uh, And why, you may ask, is that significant? Well, you, you sit down when your work is finished. And so the fact that Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father indicates that his work in removing sin is finished. God the Father is satisfied with Christ's single offering for sin and no further sacrifice is required. And just, let's return to verse 14 then. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Whilst it is true that we, we do sin and we, and we will continue to sin, it's also true that in Christ's single offering He has earned our perfection for all time. We will certainly receive perfection in time. Our future holiness is guaranteed. Uh, I tell you that as a truth this morning, that we must look to Christ and to Christ alone for full forgiveness to receive a cleansed conscience and to receive the promise of future perfection. We've now... um, reached a turning point as well in, in, uh, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the last several chapters of what we've read so far have, have focused quite a lot on, on like building a platform of knowledge. Uh, but the writer now turns to focus on, on application and exhortations. Uh, in a sense, what, what do we do with this knowledge that we've built up? And, and this is what we see in the, in the next verses in chapter 10. So let's continue reading from verse 19. Um, and just a, a quick point before we read it. Uh, you'll see that verse 19 starts with the word, therefore. And that signifies that what we're, what we're about to read must be understood in the context of what we've just read. So everything you read, we're going to read now, as, as we read it, let's have in the back of our minds what we've just um, read about Jesus's single sacrifice. Uh, which can make us holy and perfect. So let's read verses 19 uh, together. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, so this is the application, as it were, well, of what we've been reading and studying in in the past few chapters. This is this is how we respond, uh, and there are, there are three uh, main areas which I think the writer uh, makes. Uh, firstly. Uh, And I'd I'd suggest perhaps most importantly, we are told to draw near in verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Uh, What are we told to draw near to? God. The application and response of everything we've been reading and studying is that we can draw near to God himself. Is that not amazing? awesome, but we can draw near to the living God. Uh, this is the core of the gospel, that sinners can draw near to God through the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, if we consider again for a second what drawing, drawing near to God meant in the, in, the un, in the old covenant, sorry, before Jesus, uh, drawing near to God meant you know, coming to a physical place, to the temple, Um, And for most people, coming to that temple was as close as you could get. But now, Jesus has opened up for us a new and a living way to God through his flesh, i.e. through his death, so that we can draw near to God. And not only can we draw near, but we can do so with confidence. See that in verse 19, that we can draw near with a true heart and with a clean conscience. And we can do this wherever we are. This is not a, a physical drawing that that's being talked about, but this is something that the heart does. And so whether you're, you're here this morning at church, which is actually a school in the week, you can draw near to God this morning. Or if you're viewing this service online where you're, you're viewing a screen from your home or somewhere else, again, you can, you can draw near to God from where you are it doesn't matter where you are but you can draw near to god uh, i think many of us who've been christians a long time have probably heard that type of message a thousand times uh, but do do we truly believe it do we do we dwell upon that truth uh, consider again today that we can draw near to god with confidence perhaps you you struggle with feelings of un- unworthiness. You you feel that you're un- unworthy to draw near to God. Uh, then I'd I'd suggest here this that you can have confidence to draw near to God. Um, in doing so, we do not pretend that you you haven't done wrong or that you you are worthy in and of yourself. But instead, you know that you can draw near to God because you can place your faith in Jesus. And in his work, knowing that he is the one who who sprinkles our hearts clean from an evil conscience. And we can confidently come before God because of him. That's the first application point. Uh, The second application point uh, you'll see in verse 23, where the writer encourages us to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Um, And this has been a key theme in the book of Hebrews. Hold on to your faith and don't waver. Don't turn away from Christ. Uh, and what, you might ask, is, is our hope? Well, it's, it's the hope that we've been given in God's promises. And we've been given so many promises in this book of Hebrews alone. Uh, God has promised to write the law um, on your heart, chapter 10, verse 16. Um, God has promised to work in you what is pleasing in his sight, chapter 13, verse 21. He has promised to remember your sins no more, Uh, chapter chapter 10, verse 17. He has promised that we will be perfected for all time, chapter 10, verse 14. And he has promised never to leave us or forsake us, chapter 13, verse 5. God wants us to be a people of hope, to cling on to hope. And why? Well, it's because God, who made these promises, is faithful. God is faithful in all his promises. And so we should be people who grasp onto the promises of God and hold on to them and hope in them in all situations. A third application point then in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The first and uh, second application points, they're absolutely crucial, but they are focused on ourselves to some extent. And I think the writer knows that to truly glorify God, we must look outward as well to other people and to act. And this is a, this is a community-focused command. We are cons- to consider one another, to think about each other, to focus on one another. I, I noticed that the wording used as well. I think, I think it's quite interesting uh, the writer does not say, let us do love and good works and stir up one another. But instead, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I.e., we are to think about how we can encourage others to love and good works. And I think there's a real uh, reciprocity, if that's the right word, um, You know, a reciprocal nature to this command, uh, meaning that in true community, uh, as I help you, I am then also helped in turn. The true Christian community should be like a a virtuous circle. Um, Say, for example, that one person begins to uh, stir up another so that they do love and good works then that person in turn can stir up someone else to do love and good works. And then they can stir up someone else to do love and good works and so on and so forth. And so the whole Christian community is continually building each other up and encouraging each other. That's, I think, what Christian community and the church uh, should look like. And so I think there's a, there is a lesson here for each one of us. Uh, perhaps you're, you are struggling at the moment and life is tough, then I would say that uh, join in to Christian community and know that it's a place where you can find encouragement. Or on the other hand, if you are someone who struggles to get involved in Christian community because you feel like it has nothing to offer you, uh, then I'd, I challenge you to this, this morning to consider if God might want to use you to stir up someone else. To help the body of Christ. Joining a Christian community is a blessing to ourselves, but it's also a blessing to others. A couple of practical points as well, just on these verses. I think they're clearly applicable to, to Sunday morning gatherings, but I don't think they are limited or even perhaps primarily focused on that setting. I think stirring up happens when we meet in explore groups, uh, small groups. It happens as we meet socially as a church. It happens as we join together on mission. It happens as we share our lives together. And meeting together itself is perhaps not sufficient. Uh, When we meet together, we should be people who who seek to encourage. Uh, And I think one of the ways that we do encourage each other or how a writer would say we should encourage each other, is actually by reminding each other of the promises of Scripture, by telling each other of the glories of God, and thereby encouraging our brothers and sisters. Chapter 10 uh, then finishes with, with two further sections. First, uh, verses 26 through 31, which contains a, a warning against shrinking back. And this is a, it's a serious and it's a heavy word. Uh, and so before we read this, I, d- I just want to make a a quick point. And that's that I think whilst warnings can seem you know, severe and potentially even harsh, I, I'd make a point that warnings are surely loving if they are a warning of a genuine threat or danger. Uh, say for a second... Uh, but you're walking through the woods and you, and you come across uh, a wire or a wire fence. Uh, suppose then that it's an electric fence. In that situation, surely a warning sign is a good thing. It's warning of a genuine danger, oh friend. And so I want, that, I want us to bear that in mind when we read uh, these verses, which are a warning. Uh, that passage, uh, I think in some ways, is, is trying to do the opposite, perhaps, of what we read earlier in this chapter. Uh, I think you can compare the two, perhaps, to uh, the, the carrot and the stick. Uh, the, the carrot is what we read earlier, where the writer spurs on his readers uh, to draw near to God because of all the good things that Jesus is our great high priest and because of our glorious hope in Christ. Uh, But what we have here is is the stick. It's the warning against turning away from God. But in a sense, that should also spur us on to God. Uh, The writer is explaining how terrible it would be to renounce God, to turn away from him. And that encourages us to continue to place our faith in him. Uh, And yet it is a a fearful and, and, and a somewhat terrifying passage, isn't it? And we need to understand who verse 27 applies to. uh, Who should have a fearful expectation of judgment? Verse 26 explains uh, that the person is one who goes on sinning deliberately. And so the the person in mind is not someone who sins uh, occasionally, uh, for we all do that. Uh, And it's not referencing a, a particular sin either. I think instead what what's being described as someone who is sinning uh, deliberately, uh, uh, continuously, and without repentance. Verses 29, it adds more colour to this. It, It explains that the person has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. It's as if this person has seen the offering of Jesus and said, no, thank you. That's not for me. I want to instead walk the path of sin. The person has uh, deliberately and persistently renounced God. They have rejected Jesus. And in doing so, they, they no longer have an offering of sin, because as we saw earlier, Jesus is our only offering for sin. And so it is a fearful thing. A true acceptance of the gospel results in faith, and faith and leads to repentance, and repentance to obedience to God. And so, I think we we need to fearfully consider our hearts this morning. Ask yourself: Have you have you truly accepted the gospel? Repented of sin? Committed to living in obedience to God? Yes, we we will still sin, but. Is the trajectory of our life towards holiness and away from sin? Is that where we are heading? Is that where we, our desire is for our life? Away from sin and instead towards holiness. I think we need to consider that and examine our hearts again this morning. Uh, chapter 10 then closes with, with a, a final section where the author reminds his readers of their previous evidence of faith. Uh, And this provides us with an excellent opportunity or an example of what uh, verse 24 actually looks like practically. Uh, What does it mean to stir up one another to love and good works? Uh, I think this passage we're about to read gives us an example. It's a reading from verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, So it it appears from this this passage that there are some in a church who have endured persecution. Some members had suffered for their faith and some had been imprisoned. But their response to this persecution was not to back down and hide, but instead to visit those in prison from the church, risking further loss for themselves. You see, there was a a cost to their fellowship here. Their, Their property was plundered but they were determined to stir up one another and encourage those in prison. I think this is a a beautiful picture of of Christian community. Uh, But let's be honest, in in our culture, we do not face uh, persecution for our faith like this. However, I think we can still use uh, the principles and apply it to our situation and into our lives. The key, I think, is that these believers were content to incur a cost if it meant that they were faithful in loving and serving others in fact this this passage says that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property that's That's crazy in my mind um, and so I ask you this morning are you Are you willing to pay the cost of that being faithful to God in loving and serving others might have? Uh, Perhaps that means sacrificing your your free time to serve um, the Afghan community here in Watford. Perhaps it means uh, giving financially to that ministry so that more can be done. Uh, Perhaps it means taking time out of your weekend uh, to visit someone who you know is ill or or sick or, or struggling in another way. Perhaps it means sharing your faith in work or with your friends or with your family, knowing that there may be a cost, perhaps, of damaged popularity. Whatever it is, however God may be speaking to you, I think there's a challenge that we look at the cost and uh, endure and do the will of God. Uh, And what's the, the power, I think, that enables us to do this? It's knowing that whatever cost we may be asked to pay, God has something far, far, far greater for us. These Christians knew that they had a better possession than their earthly possessions. They knew that God had a greater reward for them, that he would give them the glorious things which he had promised. And these promises, they're, they're all founded on Christ. And so when we consider where God might be calling us to serve. And we look at that cost. We need to remind ourselves continually of the promises we have, because that is what can spur us on to serve in those moments. And so as I, as we close, I just want to remind us again of some of the promises that we have, to, again, just from this single book in Hebrews. Christ is the one who destroyed the power of death. Christ is the high priest who opens the way to the throne of grace. Christ is the one whoever lives to make intercession for us Christ is the mediator of a new and a better covenant that ensures the forgiveness of our sins and the writing of a law on our hearts Christ is the one whose blood cleanses our consci- consciences Christ is one who bet- obtained for us an eternal redemption and Christ's death is a single sacrifice that perfects us for all time amen uh, and so as we close and we can consider how we, how we can respond. Uh, I think, again, it's, it's quite an easy one this morning. We can look back again to verses 19 through 24 and those three exhortations. Firstly, let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And so as we uh, return in a minute just to worship, uh, I'd encourage you just to take some time quiet. Uh, Remember again that Christ's single sacrifice of himself uh, has opened up a new way to God. Remind yourself of that. Uh, Remind yourself that because of that, you can have confidence to draw near to God with a clear conscience. Thank God for that. Uh, Secondly, uh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Again, during worship, uh, remind yourself of of the hope in the promises of God. Um, And then, thirdly, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So why not spend some time this morning in prayer, um, asking God to speak to you. Ask him how he might want to use you to serve others and to stir up one another. Ask God if there are ministries that he might be calling you to get involved in or other areas in church, life or service where you can love and serve others.